0: Hey everybody, how's it going? Dan and Steve here on a new episode of Yes Shift with a guest who you may be familiar with. If not, put your head down for a five-minute timeout after the interview. We're introducing to you Oliver Wakeman, whose work we're a big fan of. Steve's in Bakersfield, California. I'm in Globe, Arizona, 100 miles east of Phoenix, and Oliver is at home in Cheltenham england out in the countryside i'm in the countryside too oliver we uh my wife and i had an eff moment a few years ago and moved out of the city up into the mountains it's it's a lot better isn't
1: it it's it's that's quite nice actually we don't have mountains where we are we've got a hill
0: that, a hill <laughs> is there a hobbit under the hill no,
1: no, actually i wouldn't say <laughs> how are you doing yeah i'm okay i'm okay yeah it's all right it's a long long day but i'm doing i'm doing well well, thank older,
0: you for taking so, um... time, yeah. especially in the evening. We are there. That's in the Okay, right. so Steve, why don't you kick it off?
2: Yeah, so uh, we'll be talking about, um, well, we have like a few different things we want to touch upon. Obviously, you have your upcoming box set collaborations yeah. fe- featuring the three ages of magic, which you did with Steve Howe, and Ravens and Lullabies, which you did with Gordon Giltrap. Um And it also includes a bonus live album from a stage. And I, I guess one of the things I was wondering is um, well like who comes up with the idea of making of proposing the box set? And also, is there a video component? We really loved the video of the concert we saw on your YouTube channel.
1: Uh, OK, I'll, I'll start with the box set bit um well i'd I'd imagine the majority of your audience uh, i'd like to think that they're aware of the from a page record which came out in 2019 um so that was a a sort of compilation of my time with the with yes from 2008 to 2011. so that box set came out and i'm sort i worked with the yes management as as well so they were very pleased with how that went um and i think it took a lot of people by surprise Uh, just a, because we announced it without telling anybody. Uh, and secondly, <laughs> because people were quite surprised that the, the, the quality and the, uh, you know, the depth of the material that was there, which was was very rewarding. So that that went down very well. And then they, they came to me and they said, that, that went really well. I said, yeah, yeah, good. And they said, got anything else? And I said, well, and I had a couple of albums, which I'd recorded with Clive Nolan, who some of your your listeners may know is a, a great keyboard player and singer and songwriter. And... and um, we had done two albums together in the late nineties, early noughties, and we'd started work on a third record, which we'd never, never really got very far with. Anyway, I, I mentioned these records to the rec- uh, to the management company and they said, Oh yeah, let's do that. So I put that one together and then they did their traditional thing of saying, yeah, that's great, but anything else? And I said, well, we did have this third album that we'd started. And so they said, well, can you do a third disc of, of that stuff? And I thought, yeah, that's much better than just doing a disc which is just full of demos, which is, I know they're really interesting, and I, I do like a, a good demo. I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for that, like yeah, anybody else. I, I this, love demos. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, a great like,
0: behind-the-scenes. It's like almost a documentary element, it, you know? It
1: is, but then I sort of thought, does somebody really want to listen to me sing a song when Bob Catley sung it? And I thought, nah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, And we had enough material that we realized when we went through our folders, we each said, oh, I think I've written one, maybe two pieces for this project, which was Frankenstein that we never finished. And we both went through and realized we had about 35, 40 minutes. And Mm -hmm. I now had about three pieces that we hadn't used on the Hound record. So I said this to the record company, I said, well, we can do that. And they were so pleased with it that they then put it out as a, a standalone release as well, which was great. So of course, when that box set sold well, they came to me and said, all right, what next? (laughs) And I said, okay. So I sort of had a look at the catalogue of work that I've done. I know, you know, a lot of Yes fans, they're sort of rabid Yes fans. They love all the Yes stuff. But, you know, the Yes family tree is so extensive and it's so, you know, the branches go far and wide that it's very difficult to keep track of what everybody's done outside uh, outside of the band. And so I was It's hard thinking, enough
0: to keep track of what everyone's done inside the band. So. That's true. <laughs> so yeah, you're yeah. right. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I, I was thinking, okay, well, so I was looking through my, my catalogue and I was thinking, well, I've done quite a lot of records now. So, uh, and I was looking through them and Some of the some of them are solo instrumental records. Some of them are new agey records. Some of them were sort of big prog records. Um, there was the records I did with Clive. And then there was some rock band albums as well and stuff. And I was sort of going through it and I was thinking, how do these package together what's the next thing that I think would be really interesting and I I got asked to do a um interview for a, a documentary on Peter Banks and I was sitting there oh, wow. talking about Peter Banks because Peter Banks played on our Jabberwocky and the Hound albums that were in the box that I just mentioned right and um I sort of thought oh, I've been really lucky I'm not I'm one of the you know one of the, I mean, there are a few other people but I'm one of the few people that's played with. Peter Banks, or worked with Peter Banks and Trevor Rabin by playing with him at the, the Greek in, in LA when he joined us on stage, and um, and Steve Howe, and I sort of thought, oh, so I played with quite some really nice, nice prog guitarists. And then, of course, I played with Gordon as well. And I said, sort I of thought, hang on, I've done an album with Gordon and an album with Steve. Maybe that's a box set. And I was thinking about calling it Guitarists, and I thought, well, that will look odd if it's my <laughs> name. People know he's a keyboard player. And I put Guitarists, and so I thought, what else is it? I said, well, they would collaborate, and I thought, oh, collaborations. I like that and they're quite different albums and so that those two seem to sit together so I mentioned this to the to the management company they said oh that's good yeah and I thought wait for it and they said got anything else that can go in there (laughs) and it was like okay and I was sitting there thinking okay I've got some you know some bootleg live recordings that Gordon and I did and I've probably got a couple of bits of music that Gordon and I didn't do and then sort of fortuitously an email landed in my inbox from uh, a friend of mine who had decided to to sound engineer one of the shows that we'd done. And it turned out it was a show that we did with Paul Manzi. So Gordon and I used to go out as a duo. We then did a full band tour. But very occasionally, Paul Manzi would join us to do a trio show. They only happened like once or twice. And we sort of generally rehearsed in the afternoon and then did the show. And fortuitously, it was one of those shows that he'd recorded. And so I said, well, yeah, send me the stuff through, thinking, mm, what's it going to be like? And it was actually a full multi-track, so I could actually have full control over it. And I oh, actually wow. sort of went through it, and I thought, this is lovely, and I had the whole show, all the chat, everything, and wow. it was like, that was great. So I thought, okay, so how can I put this live record together? And I thought, I'd, you know, I was thinking about a live record title, and I was, you know, Ravens Live, all sort of stuff. And then I sort of thought, oh, really, it's from a stage. And I thought, oh, I quite like that. That's, that's got a ring to it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so I went, So I went. okay, from a stage, we'll call it that. And um, and the good thing about the tour that I did with Gordon was is that we didn't play lots and lots and lots from the Ravens and Lullabies album. We played um, pieces from our back catalogue because we both had quite extensive back catalogues. So this live album actually only probably features about three or four songs that are on the, the, the other records in the box there. Other than that, they're pieces from all of our, our histories. So it made it a really a really nice record to put in there as a third sort of unreleased disc uh and it was you know it was it, it was odd really because you sat here listening to a live show of you th- that I did but I did it it was probably about nine years ago so I was sitting there like an audience member going does this work is this good I like that bit does that bit good should I take that bit of chat out you know so it was actually a really yeah. sort of nice period you know because normally you finish tour you listen to the live recordings and you've just played the song 40 times every night. You're like, oh, God, I've got to listen to it again. Whereas <laughs> this was quite nice. It was like, you know, nine years later and I could listen to it almost with the fans here and go, oh, does that work as the, as the flow? Yeah. So it came together really well.
0: That's great. It also makes for not only a very robust package musically and volume wise, no pun intended, but it's also some nice cross sections of an entire collective anthology which shows mm. off a lot more different flavors and colors musically. So it's a great idea. You get to another box yeah. set soon?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think there's, there's still some other albums left over. So yeah, I've got there's got to be work.
0: stuff laying around, right?
1: There always I, I started is. work on the next one, which will hopefully be next year. I've sort of seemed to got into this habit of doing one every year. So um,
2: yeah. the next
1: one will probably be a collection of the band stuff I've done. You know, my my solo records of just my name and with me and my band. So that'll be quite good fun. So I'll... I have To start digging around and see what I've got knocking around for that one,
0: yeah. When Steve sent me, um, the uh, the video, which was um, an audience shot video of you, oh, and Huntington image.
1: Pool.
2: yeah, yeah, of, yeah. And with Huntington.
0: you and Gordon, it just the music is so beautiful. Have you, the have the two of you done or talked about doing motion picture soundtrack work?
1: Um, no, we haven't, actually. What, what happened with Gordon was is that he, he phoned me up when after I, after I finished with Yes. He was the first person that phoned me up. And um, he said, oh, would you play on my record? And I said, yeah, yeah, fine, great, love to. And then the next day he phoned me up again and said, um, look, I've changed my mind. And I went, oh, that's a shame. And he said, no, 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 I want us to work on a record together. And so we started working on a record together. And, um, you know, I've been very fortunate that we were able to write it every single way, you know, we, we played it live, we talked about it, we sat in a room together, we shared files over the internet, we sat in a studio recording, writing as we went. So we we were working on this album, and then he said, look, would you like to get on tour before we release it? And I thought, well, that's a really good idea, because we can work some of the material out on tour, which would be really good fun. We can, we can see what bits work. And when you're playing a song over and over again, and it's just the two of you, you really start to refine the parts that work. As a performance. Uh, and so when we were going out on, on tour, we started doing all these bits and it, it sort of really helped the record along. Bit of an explanation of the record here, really, because the second record in the box set is called Ravens and Lullabies. Ravens and Lullabies, essentially, Ravens are rock songs, Lullabies are instrumental duets. And essentially, it is um, so full band song, duet, full band song, duet. And it came from a thing that years ago, my dad used to say to me, he said, when he's on stage, he always does lots of talking. And he says, it's almost because the music is quite complex and people need to absorb a lot. And he said, and if you just jump from one complex piece to another complex piece to another complex piece, people will tend to go, oh, I'm being hit with too much to almost take it on board. Right. He said, so when you just chat and talk to the audience and engage, it's a little bit like palate cleansing. You're giving them a chance to prepare for the next piece of music to listen to. Yeah. And I always, I always remembered that, and I thought, well, that's some you know some you know I've, I've done records where it's rock songs all the way through but i sort of thought i really quite like that idea of taking a rock song that's got a, a theme or a story behind it and then interspersing with these gentler pieces that mean that you sort of get this nice sort of flow through the record Absolutely. Uh, and it and it was also something steve and i had talked about for doing for the yes record before um it turned you know trevor horn uh, got involved that was originally the yes uh, plan to do something a bit like fragile so i had these sort of two ideas knocking around in my head and it it seemed to work really well um so i will get to your answer i promise Um, (laughs) so 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 as we were as we were touring we we toured a lot we taught you know we did a tour two three tours a year and the record came out and then we did various tours Uh, and then gordon got quite sick um very sick, in fact. Uh, luckily, he'd made a full recovery, but it, wow. it, it it meant he had to really cut back on his work. So that's why we ended up stopping sort of working together and he needed wow. to work at a different pace. Uh, otherwise, I think we would have carried on doing lots more. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, if anybody wants me to do a film, I'll do a film.
0: <laughs> yeah. The,
1: the, the, the... I did one, actually. I did do one.
0: Did you? What I was it? Did...
1: It Was um, you know, Rodney Matthews, the artist, I did yeah. his album Trinity. Yeah. He did it, he's just done an animated film, and I did the oh. soundtrack for that.
0: Nice, so
1: yeah, that. so that's that's hopefully great. coming out soon. Uh, I, I, I did very well actually. I've got a couple of soundtrack awards for it, which was very, very pleasant. That's great. There's a story sure. behind that one as well, but I, I could be here all night otherwise. You probably got-
0: <laughs> we'll have you on again. I know there's just so much to talk about, we don't want to keep you. Too late. We do have a. I'm looking at the a couple notes here. We do have quite a few other things to cover, but we'll do it all within your comfort zone with the time that That's you have. Good. Yeah,
2: yeah. And we actually have the clip you sent us of November wedding, which she did with Rodney Matthews. Um, yeah, uh,
1: that was. Do you want me to tell you about that one quickly while you play? Yeah, tell
2: it? us about that, and then we're going to play some
0: of it for everybody. I'll
1: tell you that quickly. Basically, Rodney Matthews is. um I mean, prog fans know Rodney Matthews. It's all, all, if they don't, look him up and you will be astounded. He's a a, a phenomenal artist. He's also uh, sort of, he was also a a drummer many years before. He played at, um, I think it was Glastonbury he played. He even supported Yes once years ago. Years ago, back in the the late 60s. Um, But then he went down the art route and that became his career. But he was always sort of like a, a drummer at heart. And um, he'd been working on writing little themes and songs for an album over like 40 years. And he came to me and said, oh, would you um, play on my record? And I said, yeah, of course I would. And I ended up playing on nearly every track, writing a few pieces, doing a lot of arrangements for it. Um, and in the meantime, he, when I first got back in touch with, with Rodney, I have a long history with Rodney, um, but I hadn't spoken to him for a long time. And then he, he, he got it back in touch with me. His, his wife passed away mm. and and he was sort of getting himself back on his feet, and then he thought, "I'm going to do the record. I'm going to do the record." And in the meantime, he met a new a new lady, um, and then they got married. And he invited me to to go to the wedding, which was up in Scotland. And he said, "Would you perform at our wedding for us?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to." So I went up there, and I played in the church for as as, as his wife Sarah walked down the aisle, and I played some music in it while the people were waiting and I played music at the end of it. And then in the evening, I did a piano show for them. And I was sort of, just before I went out there, my wife and I were talking we said, what can we, what can we get them? What do you get a fantasy artist? What do you, you know, what do you buy? You're not going to buy him something and he's going to go, well, that's really nice. You know, because he can draw anything, make anything. And I sort of thought, well, that's really difficult. And he's not really going to want a gravy boat. So I thought, well, what can I do? And I thought, I'll write him a piece of music for his wedding. And his wedding was in November, so that's where the, the, the name November Wedding comes from. And I thought I would just play it for him at the wedding in in the in the evening session. I they you know lots of music I was playing from different records, and then I thought, well, I'm just going to play it to them. And I played it, and the sort of room erupted at the end. And Rodney just pointed at me and said, "That's going on the album."
2: Oh, wow, that's so, great.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so it was a it was a lovely a lovely piece. Um, uh, and so that's really the hit. That's the story behind November Wedding and the Trinity album that it appears on, which is the record he did with Jeff Sheets, the uh, guitarist, and, and mm-hmm. with me. Um, every piece of music on that record is based on one of his paintings, and November Wedding was the was the the odd one out because he had to actually paint a picture to go with the piece of music. So we actually that was the only piece that the, the other way around. But yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fun piece.
0: That's great. Let's bring some of it up, folks. Check this out. This is Oliver Wapin with November Wedding. <music> It's great, beautiful. That must have been fun. how how if you don't mind me asking Oliver how how long did it take for you to work that out and did you work it out first on paper, so to speak, or by just letting it flow out of you onto the keys?
1: Oh, uh, so letting it flow. It came quite quickly actually. Um, the, the I sort of what generally happens is I come up with a theme that I really like, uh, and then I work loads of stuff around it. And then generally, the piece just develops and develops and develops. And then I keep refining it. And then what, what often happens is the bit that inspired me in the first point gets binned because the rest of it has actually developed much better. So the original idea sort of almost gets buried. Um, and I think on that one, the middle section sort of came a little later because I wanted to do a little reflection bit in the middle. Uh, and I think I wrote sort of fast ending because I did, I just wanted to do variations on the end. Um, but I wanted it to finish with that sort of, you know, very upbeat sort of tempo because it was a wedding. It was supposed to be a joyous, fun occasion. And um, yeah, I, I think that one, it was generally quite quick. I mean, I, pieces of music, I never sort of determine whether a piece of music is very good or bad or whether it's worth doing by the length of time it takes me, really. I remember Elton John saying, if your piece doesn't come right for him within 20 minutes, he, he thinks it's no good. Whereas I've got pieces of music that I started 10 years ago. Um, and they just don't find a home. Uh, There's a little bit in the song uh, "Is This the Last Song I Write?" from the Ravens record, which actually came from a song idea which I wrote back in like 2000 or 1998, and it just it never had a home. And then when this song came, I thought, oh, I sort almost started singing it by by accident. I went, oh, I've got something like that, and it was, and then I sort of re you know stripped out a load of it, and, and the, but it, it just worked really perfectly. So I just sort of almost think to myself. Sometimes a piece will come quickly. There's a track called Picture of a Lady that's on the Hound of the Baskervilles album that almost took the length of time it is, the song is, to write it. It just came really quickly. There's a track called The Agent of my Mother's Rune album, which is about a seven minute piece of music. And one bit in the middle, there's like a little rant section. And that just flew out of me. It just came bit by bit by bit. One night I just couldn't come away from the piano. Ideas just kept coming and coming. There's a track called "The Healer" off of Three Ages of Magic, where I sat there one day, and the bass player that worked on the record was sat with me. And at about seven o'clock, he'd come around one evening. We were going to do some bass recording, and then I sort of just said, "Oh, well, let me just put an oboe here. Let me just pop an oboe in this track." And I started, of, and then suddenly I, I looked across at him, and I completely orchestrated this piece, and I, I looked at the time. It was eleven o'clock, and I went, "Oh," and he went don't worry. I said, you've been sat there for four hours. He said, yeah. He said, I just, What?" he said, you went into a trance. He said, it was really <laughs> bizarre. He said, you just hit a zone. Yeah. And it almost like everything flowed through you he said, I couldn't have interrupted you if I tried. And it, it's almost like that songwriting at times, you just get into this bit where you're almost channeling stuff and it just can't, you know, you, you're, you're just there to, to get it down as quick as you can. So that piece was one of those sort of pieces where it just, Everything felt right, and it just flew, you know. Uh, so it's, um, so that, I sorry, that all my answers will be about four times longer than you're expecting them to be, and I'll probably end up answering <laughs> about three just other like, questions on the way. It's
2: just like a prog rock epic. It ends up being longer <laughs> than people initially intend.
1: Prog, prog, um, prog sentences. That's what, that's what we're yeah, I love it. Um, <laughs>
2: before, before we get into some yes talk, I, I see a question from, someone in one of the groups i shared too so th- this is from john niskey who says i'd love to know what it was like working with the guys in star castle i was at Rosfest when he, oliver performed with them it was a magical performance
1: oh oh yeah that was that was lovely that was um that was quite a long time ago actually yeah
2: yeah I sort 2007 of,
1: yeah I, I went over for sort of a little holiday and 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 they asked me to 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 join them on stage. And um I didn't really know much about the band, but they sent me all these sort of materials to listen to. But they were they were great. I really enjoyed hanging out with them. And the show was really good fun. The show was show was great fun. And um, you know, I sort of I still get emails, I still keep in touch with Al Lewis, the singer, all the time. We're always talking about doing something together, and we probably will at some point. Um, but I sort of got on really well with them all, and as I sort of got to know them you know, you really understood their musicality and that they, you know, I know a lot of people said they sounded like, yes, and they, they were very <laughs> clever, like, yes, but they had, once you delved into the music, they did have their own sort of way of doing things that you spotted, spotted patterns. Um, the best thing I remember about that was I, because nobody really knew what they looked like anymore, because it had been such a long time since they'd played. And the the, the, the show was actually all the different um, sort of lineups of, of Starcast all together and the keyboard player couldn't do it which is how I got suggested for it and I remember saying to them I said is anybody up for having a laugh with this and they sort of went why what you what are you planning on doing I said nobody knows what you look like and they went yeah I said why don't we queue up outside with the audience coming in and they went yeah all right we're up for that and so we ended (laughs) up queuing up like a bunch of fans going to watch the show and as we all sort of walked in and everybody sort of went to their seats. We just kept walking down through the middle, and people were going, "Why aren't they going to seats?" And then it sort of rippled that that <laughs> we were actually walking. We just walked up to the stage and started. Playing. That's great. It's hilarious. It really good fun. Nice.
0: And I think,
1: and I think, remember it's a show where I seem to remember the lighting guy went had a had a problem on stage, and we had to call the police. We had the police turn up halfway oh, yeah. through the show. Hmm. It was a never had that before that was a new one interesting
2: not the band the police right
1: not the band they didn't (laughs)
2: try yeah they show up (laughs) kicking in the door
1: (laughs) (laughs) this is our gig
0: (laughs) i'd like to um jump to another video that you sent us um that steve and i are both fond of not just the music but it's always fun to watch watch it being played um talk about words from a page a little bit and then we'll play that
1: oh okay yeah well, the one you're probably going to play is the acoustic version, which is the piano version I put together for um, the Prog from Home concert, which was the first lockdown concert, I think, um, oh. that sort of sort of appeared. It, when we first went into lockdown, it, it sort of, I got approached, would I do it? And I thought, oh, yeah, it's just going to be a little thing. And it turned out to be this, you know, huge show that happened on the Internet. We, we were watching it and it's like, you know, thousands upon thousands of thousands of people watching it as as it was all going on. It was, it was quite remarkable. Um, so I was obviously really chuffed to be asked to do it. And I sort of thought, what can I do? What can I do that will be a bit different? And I sort of thought, well, Words on a Page, I've been playing it myself anyway, just because you know, I'd always been really fond of the, the melody. And it lent itself quite nicely, because obviously it's originally a piano piece. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll do it for that one. Um, the track itself, back to the, the From the Page record, there's a couple of little interesting stories with that. Is the, um, obviously the song is called Words on a Page, and it's, when I wrote it, there was a couple of things I wanted to do. When I was writing, and this is before Trevor Horn got involved, but when I was writing songs, a management company, Yes Management said to me, look, could you write lots of music for this Yes, yes record? Because, you know, you're quite prolific and I think it'd be good if we had lots of music to go for the new Yes record that we can we can listen to and work with. And I thought, okay, how am I going to do this? I want I want to write for Yes. And I know that my keyboard style is going to match, but I wanted to make sure that we ended up it not just sounding like one of my like a solo record or a a symphonic rock record or something from the other things i thought i've got to do this i want to make this authentic it's got to feel like a yes song and so i thought okay how would it be people are going to think they want to hear john singing so they're not going to hear john they can hear benoit and they're going to think about john's lyrics and i sort of thought well i can't just sit there and write i'm I'm going to say this and this isn't in any other way lyrics that are difficult, I was going to say nonsensical, but that's not fair. It's because they, John's lyrics mean a lot to him. But lyrics that are sometimes hard to interpret or understand why, what the meaning is behind where he's coming from. Right. And I thought, well, if I just come up with things that try to sound like John, it won't sound authentic. But then I sort of, I came, I was sitting down and I was writing, I was writing the word um, dawns over mountains at night. And I thought, I thought well, that's quite nice. And I thought, that does actually sound quite Johnish, and then I was sort of and I sort of started to chorus my so words on a page, and I was just thinking about that and then I got this idea that actually this whole song could be about somebody reading a book and reading stories and how this world comes alive from words on a page because I love reading i 've always got a couple of books, a couple of sat over there actually ready for me to get going on and I sort of thought, well these when you read a story the one thing that's great about a book over a film is that the book is your imagination creating the scenery, the, the the actors, the people, the players, everything. Whereas when you get a film, I mean, can you imagine Harry Potter looking any different to how he looks now in the films? You can't. <laughs> but when the first books came out, you probably imagined Harry Potter to be completely different right. to how he was in in the in the film. And so I sort of thought, okay, well, it's a story about writing about writing a book, and that almost gave me. The free reign to come up with lots of John-like words and sentences that I could put together that weren't just me randomly coming up with things. And so that's where a lot of the lines come from. I try and remember some of them now, um, lost in the words on the page, uh, like words like forms between the lines, all that sort of stuff. Dawns over mountains at night, and those all come from things and phrases that you would read and experience. That that could be more almost childlike. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the idea came from.
0: Nice. Uh,
1: and then it developed really nicely. And it started off, we there's a demo version of it which there's never been released, which is really lovely because it's got different acoustic guitar, different piano on it. Um, Chris just playing an acoustic bass. And there's there's um doesn't go into the big second ending part at the end. So it's just like a shorter instrument. And that was how it was originally going to be. And then um we were in the studio recording it. And I remember Steve had his steel guitar on the side. And I sort of thought, OK, I said, let's just play around the chords with a couple of key changes. And I said to Steve, would you do a solo? And he said, yeah, yeah, what do you want? And I'd written a little solo part for it on the guitar, because I, I play guitar, but no, nothing like Steve, Allen, let's, let's be honest here. And, but I, I often go to Steve and say, there's like a couple of melodies into the moment, which are, which are mine on guitar. So I'd say to him, I'll just change that. And he'd say, why? And I said, well, because you're going to do it. He said, good melody, got to keep that. Uh, and so there's a couple of bits and words on the page that did that. But then I said to him, I said, you wouldn't play your steel guitar, would you? Because he had his steel guitar from Andrew and I just on the side next to him in the studio. And he went, okay, yeah, okay, I can do that. And he came up with this solo that just blows me away every time I listen to it. And I remember thinking that was great. And then I wanted to do a section there because I was trying to sort of think, when we were recording, it's got to have... What What are the things that people sort of think about Yes, and It's like, well, steel guitar, the sort of anthemic endings, the gentleness, the fact that songs are almost written in lines rather than chords. You don't go, oh, C, right. F, D. So it's like intertwining lines with the melody line overflowing. So I wanted to make sure that the music represented that bit that the band wrote in. Right. Um, and then, of course, when it got to the end, I said to everybody, let's do voices. You know, I was thinking back to things like Leave It and things like that, where you get multiple voices all stacked. And that's what we did, the lines on a page. And I said, Chris and then Steve, sing a line for me. and Each take a different line and we put it all together. And then Benoit sang this soaring line over the top and the whole thing just built beautifully.
0: And that, of and course, it, is a signature of Yes Music and has been forever, you know, the whole vocal aspect of it.
1: Yeah, and I thought, because we didn't have John, I didn't want, i when I was putting that song together, I didn't want it to feel like, something was missing I wanted you know because Steve's got a very distinctive voice Chris has got a very distinctive voice my voice is well sounds like me so I'm not gonna say it's distinctive but it sounds like me but and Benoit's voice is is beautiful as well and those four voices working together were really nice and it just felt that song to me just it just felt right And when somebody once I read a review somewhere or somebody online once said that they, they said they loved that song and it just felt like a song that they could have picked up and put on a different yes album from a different era. And I sort of took that as a, as a massive compliment. That was that was sort of one of the nicest things somebody could have said to me. And you know, that sort of made me think, okay, yeah, you know, we got we got that one pretty good. It, it 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 did have that yes sort of feel to it, which was which was really important.
0: Right. Very nice. Let's play that. Uh this is the solo acoustic version of Words mm-hmm. on a Page, Oliver Wakeman. Check this out, folks.
2: Yeah, that entire prog from home stream was phenomenal. I watched it when it came up a couple years ago, and it was like a really nice thing for various prog musicians to get together in these uncertain times. Um and I feel like with music, um some people really love the more rocky like hard edge songs but I also really appreciate the hopeful and optimistic gentler sounding ones like for example anyone can fly over on ravens and lullabies yeah um, and words on the page it's just like whenever I think of that song it doesn't take long for it to get stuck (laughs) in my head and I, I just love that the gift of love as well like I just love that type of music
1: oh good that's, 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 that's very kind. Thank you. And, and yeah, two,
0: two things. One, I feel extremely underdressed,
2: <laughs>
0: but at least it's music related two, Absolutely. Two, my dog is going nuts. I want to make sure everything's okay. You two carry on. I'll be right back. Okay. Right. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um, getting back to, yes, yeah, so you're, uh, Actually, the first Yes keyboardist I saw in concert. Um, me oh, and my, really? Yeah, me and my dad um, went to see Yes and Asia back in 2009 in Las Vegas, and it was just such a great show. Oh, yeah,
1: uh, yeah, I remember that show. I do remember that one. Yeah, I can't remember. What what, what was the venue called?
2: I think it was the Thomas and Max Center. That was it. Yes,
1: yes. Yeah, we stayed in the Pyramid Building, if I remember correctly.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The the year before, we were gonna try to go to the close to the edge and back tour, which of course was before Benoit joined and yeah. when John was slated to uh, come and sing for the band. But of course, we all know what happened. Uh, one of the things I've been long curious about was the set list. Like, were there any set list changes between? That cancel tour and the In the Present tour that might surprise people.
1: Uh, I think we were going to do a few more, um, a few more other well-known. I think we, one thing I never did on the In the Present was Wondrous Stories, and we were going to mm-hmm. do that one definitely. I was pushing John quite a lot to do I've always had a real soft spot for Holy Lamb. I've always oh, loved, oh wow, always, that's uh,
0: one of Steve's favorite songs. Wondrous Stories is like my wife and I song.
1: Yeah, I always always loved Holy Lamb. And I was saying to John, should we should we do that? And he was like, you know, well, it's not the, really the lineup. And I said, well, and he wanted to do a little acoustic section in the middle. And he said, well, you and I will do it. We'll do it together.
0: <laughs> so, is any lineup the lineup? I mean, it's kind of an odd response, don't you think, Oliver?
1: Well, I think he was sort of thinking that Steve probably wouldn't want to play Trevor's guitar bits and... Mm you know would i would i play the tony k keyboard bit or you know yeah I was like, yeah I'd love, I'd love to i think it was a great great song we thought it was a lovely a lovely track i mean i you know i see a lot of these things online where people talk about their favorite yes albums and stuff but i always liked big generator and i always thought that was a lovely mm-hmm. way to end end of that record yeah. and um yeah so i was always sort of looking forward to playing that with john um and we did a few other bits and pieces as well. I'm trying, trying to know what it was.
2: Yeah, I, I know that back in the day, John was saying, oh, maybe we'll do nine voices or do reviewing science of God in the acoustic session. Um,
1: oh, yeah, we were going to do something from Magnification, I think we were going to do as well. Oh, wow. Oh, really? seem to remember something along the lines of that, but I can't exactly remember which one it was. God, it was a long time ago, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's crazy yeah, time, Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think he mentioned give love each day, and he was saying it'd be cool to do that with the uh, Paul Green's School of Rock All Stars on stage. But I don't know, like how um, how set in stone he was about the idea, or if he was saying that would be a cool th- thing to do, type of thing.
1: Yeah, I could, really couldn't answer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think he's right. A, oh, go ahead,
1: Oliver. No, no, no. I was only going to say because it was very. Um, because John was very much taking the lead on that talk. Steve asked okay. me, you know, phoned me up and said, would I join? And I said, yeah. And um, and then when John and I spent a lot of time talking, we did a bit of recording some ideas backwards and forwards. And he sent me some other songs, some new songs that we were going to look at doing. And um, and then obviously he, he got ill. And, and so I hadn't really spoken to Steve or Chris or Alan throughout that whole period, really. It was just John and I talking all the time. And. Um, and then I remember when John got sick, he just wrote to me and he said, I'm sick, it's not going to happen. Mm. And I was like, sort of, obviously very upset for John. Uh, right. But then there was part of me that went, oh, that's really disappointing. And I thought, oh, great, I'm going to, I'm the only person that's been in Yes for a year and not played a note with him. It <laughs> just mm. felt really, just felt really sort of wrong.
0: Yeah. And um,
1: I thought, oh, well, at least I've been asked. That was, that's, that's nice. And then Steve sort of, phoned me up a bit later and said, we're working, you know, we've got Benoit. Are you still on board? And I said, well, yeah. And that's when we started talking about the next set list where we, we went through stuff. The, the difficulty with the, the set list from my point of view, when we went on in the present was, um, really the amount of material I had to learn. Cause I, I you know, probably what, what people don't realize is mm-hmm. I hadn't spent my whole life growing up learning yes songs or dad's music, even though I sort of grew up with it. I listened to it like a fan, but I didn't really sit there and go, oh, so what's going on here? So suddenly being given three and a half hours worth of music to learn was quite a lot. Um, So I had to learn all this stuff, but the the hardest bit was when when it got to playing live, I thought, okay, how can I approach this that is gonna be authentic to, to the fans and I can bring something, what can I bring to the band that I can bring to the band? And I sort of looked at a lot of the live videos and I noticed that a lot of the solos Dad would make up his own solos for and change solos and do them differently. And I sort of talked to Steve about it and I said, look, it will be, you know, what do you think about if I go back and do all the authentic original solos, you know, the original solo from Andrew and I, the original solo from Close to the Edge. And, and he was like, yeah, we've been thinking exactly the same. We want to take the band right back and do it really authentic because it's, nice. it's changed so much over the years. I said, OK, great. I'll get the records, I'll sit down and I'll work out all the music. And he went, brilliant. And I said, okay, so anything else shall will be aware of? And he went, oh yeah, we have made some arrangement changes over the years, but we want to keep those in place. And I was like, okay. So there's like certain bars cut out of close to the edge and there's bits in roundabout where, you know, the, the theme changes underneath the chorus line and then you do the da 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 stuff going on underneath. And it's, yeah. I went, okay, is there any recordings of if it authentically played with those arrangement changes he went no I went okay so I had to sort of learn the pieces twice I had to learn them the live way and learn them originally and then apply the original to
0: the newly reworked version Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah and that was it and of course you're playing over something where someone else is playing something different when you're trying to work it out so it was really quite complex and then of course you know I turned up in Hamilton which is where we started rehearsing and we had two weeks of rehearsal. I had a brand new keyboard rig. I hadn't played with the band before. Um, and it was quite daunting, the amount of material we had to get through. And I thought, it's OK. It's all right. Well, if we start at 8 every morning and go through till 5, we've got two weeks for the first show. I think we can pull it together. And then, um, you know, Chris, I, I don't think it's the secret that Chris sort of is a late time keeper. Yeah. <laughs> And he would say, okay, unless he's wearing so, a base. <laughs> unless he's wearing, and he would say to me, he'd say, "Um, all right, okay, so we'll 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 start at one." And I was like, "That's five hours of the day gone." And then he'd go, oh, "And then we'll stop for a bit of lunch at about three, and then we'll we'll you know we'll call it a day by about five. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, is this so why this the was, first six shows were only a half hour long? That'll be it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what, so why? I used to go in really early and just sit and, with the keyboard rig and just play and play and then we used to rehearse and then that used to finish and then I used to go back to my room and sit with the keyboard and just play and play and just try to, it was just trying to learn as much of this material in, 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 in the, the period of time that we had. Um, and then I thought sort of, we were doing really well, I thought this is really coming together. I thought, right, we've got two days and then, then Chris said, I think we're going to take Thursday off. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's so funny that's great out of respect for your time we're gonna scoot through some some more fun questions and whatever we don't get to we'd love to have you on again sometime
1: oh happy to happy to so you and steve
0: have something very much in common even more so than i have in common with steve steve why don't you (laughs) pop that question
2: yeah so i heard that a certain someone is a fraser fan
1: yeah yeah absolutely
2: do you have a favorite episode
1: do I have a favorite episode um yes I have oh it's such a I I love that show
2: it's yeah it's tough to choose (laughs) it
1: is tough to choose I probably the one where Niles hires the the man that sorts out the problems for his wife's parking tickets Oh I absolutely love that effort. I can watch that one over and over again. I just where he starts, you know, (laughs) trying to (laughs) trying to talk tough guy. I just it's hysterical. Absolutely I absolutely love that episode. But there's probably about a hundred others I could mention as well. But that one always always comes back.
2: Back How about you, Steve? What's your favorite? It would probably have to be one of the episodes where you know Fraser's dad Martin like has some really good advice and stuff like that like i really like the one where he kind of puts Fraser and Niles in their place when they're talking smack about this steak restaurant he's saying yes. your your mother could appreciate a good ball game she wouldn't treat anyone second rate um yeah. but i also love the one where you know it's i mean spoilers for a later season of frasier i guess but it it always hurts to see the chair fall and like knowing that it's not the same chair, the rest of the show, but it's also really heartwarming seeing Frasier want to get a replica of it made for his dad. Cause like he finally understands like how much it means to him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was a good episode. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, who's your favorite character, Oliver? Do you have a favorite character? That's hard so, to narrow down as well.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is. It's, I just, I think what it is, I just think they're such a strong ensemble. Yeah. yeah I think that is, the, that is the heart of the show, isn't it? it? It really is. If you get a good ensemble of characters, you can have an episode where you, you suddenly think, oh, that's my favourite character. I love the way that, but then you go to another episode and the other character will, will warm, you know. So it's, it's very difficult because I would pick somebody, you know, if I, if I say, like I said, my favourite episode, I think Niles has some of the best lines in that episode. Yeah. But then there's other atos where, where Fraser has some amazing lines, and you go, "Oh, this character's the best one." And then you'll do things with Daphne or or, or Roz, some of her cover and you just sort of go, "Or oh, Martin," and and you sort of think, "Nah, it's just it's the fact it's an ensemble, and they work so well together is what makes it." It makes it so strong. So
0: I I agree with that. And what I'm going to say can absolutely apply to any of the other characters. However, at a whole next level, I cannot imagine seeing someone else play Niles besides (laughs) David Hyde Pierce. It's like that's he just comes to life so much that you don't have to suspend any disbelief. That guy is that guy. It's just hilarious how neurotic and conceited he is. I love it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's a there's a cutlet. Um, this is how much of a nerd I am for for Frasier stuff. There is there's a hidden Fraser episode in Wings. Did you know that?
2: Oh yeah, I've heard of it, it's, but I haven't gotten I around to seeing it. Yeah, I don't know if it. I know that. That's interesting. We should watch it's, that, Steve.
1: It's, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's Frasier and Lilith doing a seminar to the Wings cast. Really? Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh wow, well, yeah, we got to check that out.
1: That's uh, great. and 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 the end of caroline in the city there's a cameo from niles and daphne
2: oh that one i did not know about
1: yeah yeah, yeah i don't remember
2: um, that that's great we got to check that yeah, stuff out Some
1: yeah, yeah, let's see what i mean i'm terrible
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's one for you um you're tall you're t- how tall are you uh six Two,
1: six, three, something like that. Six, two, I think. I'm getting older, so I'm getting shorter. My son's just got taller than me, so I think he tells me how short (laughs) I am now.
0: Nice. So, when is it uncomfortable when you're under the stage actually playing when your dad is miming? And do they bring you snacks when he's doing the talking parts between songs?
1: Which bit are you talking about?
0: When your dad's pretending to be playing, but you're actually under the stage, all crammed up down there, oh. actually being the one. Playing.
1: <laughs> Very good. Sorry, it took me a moment there. Getting late here.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, what is your um, what's your affinity with gear? Where does it lie? Like, do you do, have you ever delved into the old school Hammond B threes with the Leslie Dopplers? You know, do you, do you get into some of the old gear with any of your recordings or playing live?
1: Yeah. Uh, live, not so much because uh, I have practical. done, but they're a pain in the neck. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, my little moog, little fatty, is, is lovely. It's hidden up the top up there. Um, but... You know even that with its digital stuff and it still would go out of tune every now and then and would be a pain when you're playing i used to have two actually they they did the stage one and the stage two of the little fatties one which had a silver back and one which had a black back mm. and i used to have two because if you played um you had to get the temperature right so if you played outside having the silver backed one was better because it would reflect the light oh whereas and the a, yeah uh, whereas if you're playing in a cold outside show having using the black one to absorb more heat was better so you know you had those sort of things so they, so they became really hard work um but the three ages of magic album just to go back to the collaborations box set mm-hmm. that is full of stuff like that there's old yeah. old upright pianos there's a lovely Hammond on there it was it was recorded in the southwest of England in Cornwall right down on the tip of, of, of the west coast of England I I recorded that album in an old farm. There's a studio built in the middle of this huge barn. The whole barn is literally just like an old, you know, working barn with this studio and control room in the middle of it. And I I had the whole barn full of keyboards, big keyboard rig in there. The Hammond speakers, you know, Leslie speakers were were rattling around with microphones all around the room. And it was amazing. The sounds that we could get from that was terrific. And I used i didn't the mood little fatty hadn't come out then so i was using an old yamaha cs1 which is a single oscillator yeah keyboard like a like a move but only single oscillator so i'd have to play the solo a couple of times and then detune it to get the same effect as a, as a mood right but this farm when we recorded it we listened back to it and you could hear the keyboard going diddle, 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 and then you'd hit tick, a little tick and it was like we couldn't work out where this Ticking noise was coming from on the take. And eventually we worked out what it was. This farm was actually a working farm as well as a dairy farm. Someone's chewing a horse? No, it was the electric fence to keep the cows in. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so the voltage from the keyboard was picking up the, the cycle of the electricity going through. So to do the solo, we had to turn off all the electric fences in the farm and hope that the cows didn't Wouldn't get, out. get
0: loose. That's hilarious.
1: The engineer, who was also the owner of the farm, was saying to me, please get it right in one take. He said, because if I lose a load of cows, I'm in all sorts of trouble.
0: Oh, my gosh. Now, conversely, another gear question, and then I have one more. Conversely, if you were called to show up at the studio for a gig that they didn't have time to tell you anything about, and you needed to just bring one keyboard to have as much of what you like at the ready, what would that keyboard be?
1: Well, I've got a Korg Kronos here next to me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I haven't played a great deal, but everything in it seems to be wonderful. So if I had actually delved into that properly, I would probably have said that. Yeah. But I do have um, a Korg M3, which has been my saviour on multiple occasions. I mean, I've this this thing here is a, a Dexibel H7, which is a fantastic um, electric piano. Absolutely love that. But. Yeah. I think the M3 was such a good workhorse years before that I would have said my Korg T1 because my Korg T1 came everywhere with me I did everything on that keyboard Um, and then I ended up with the M3 which was a really really well-crafted keyboard had some really lovely sounds it didn't have such great pianos but everything else on it was just amazing and I could do lots and lots of stuff on the show with that um so probably the the M3 is something that I would always pick up and use but I tended to, get to, um, I tended to get to the point where I ended up buying keyboards that were really good at one thing. So, you know, I'd always take out, like on my Yes rig, I always had a, like a Yamaha piano because it just did the piano. And then I yeah. had the organ because it just did the organ. I had mm-hmm. the little vocoder that just did the voice bits for, for uh, Tempest Fusion. Yeah. And I had the Moog. And then I had the, the little, uh, what was it, Roland D, uh, Roland, uh, I can't remember what it was now. I've got two of them. I can't remember what it's called XP, XP30 XP had a couple of those because they just did really beautiful strings and so I ended up having like compartmentalized a bit like an orchestra it's like I went here for this I went there for that but the M3 was like my sort of I had an M3 and a, and a Triton and they both were like workhorses that could yeah. pick up the strain of all the other bits that were acquired around the more um uh sort of authentic vintage gear yeah. sounds um nice. so, so So that was that was sort of how I tend to work now. But um, yeah, I've heard that. I'm trying to think what else I've got that I tend to. What I would take out, you know, I'll go into the garage tomorrow and I'll look and I'll see something. I go, why didn't I say that one? That that does the job just as well.
0: (laughs) It's always fun to geek out on gear, you know. Yeah. And my last question in that that realm is, what software do you prefer to use when it comes to recording and editing and everything?
1: uh Pro Tools I generally use Uh, and I I was originally Cubase back in the days when it was all MIDI and um because I was working in a studio to do Jabberwocky and things I bought my first Mac I bought the G3 the little blue and white G3 Tower when it first came out and um and then I sort of and I got Cubase and I became quite a convert and I became you know sort of Mac everything and then when it got to the point where i needed to start doing more audio recording cubase wasn't very good at that at the time yeah. and i thought oh i'm gonna to have to make a jump to something that does audio and i think it was an engineer i was working with said we should give give pro tools a try and it was a it was a difficult jump to jump from cubase to, to pro tools mm-hmm. but i but i did that and now i'm i sort of feel really really comfortable with it i feel, i'm not the world's greatest sort of um mixer i can mix things but i always go to carl groom because he's does everything that i do because he's just brilliant but i can do enough to get things to a point i mean i worked with with gordon gordon was sort of like right. gordon would just watch me and just go he said it are so quick and it's just like well i know people that are even quicker than me at recording bits and pieces down but it's i was always sort of taught as an engineer is that you just try and record quickly so when gordon was there playing it was like get it in, go, go again, go again. You don't, uh, I don't like sitting in a studio and someone says, oh, just give me a minute. I've just got to do a couple of things. You don't want to stop the musician. Yeah. So Pro Tools allowed me to get that sort of speed of being able to record ideas down. I don't want to be, I don't want to be sort of um, inhibited by the by the technology. The yeah, technology you don't want your
0: flow be, and creativity uh, interrupted. Yeah.
1: And Pro Tools seems to work quite nicely. The amount of times I'm sitting here recording, and I just go over here, hit the number three, da 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 da, notes not workspace number three, da 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 da, and that just works for me.
0: And it's that's nice
1: because I'm all about getting the ideas down or the thoughts down. That's that's yeah. the most important thing. No one no one wants to listen to a record for how well it was recorded at, at the time. It, if the songs are no good or the music's no good, doesn't matter how well the record's recorded,
0: right. Absolutely. And if you have just a few more minutes, a couple yeah, more yeah, minutes, no, no, yeah, I'm okay. good. All, Steve has quiet. some uh, a few more miscellaneous musical questions for you.
2: Right. So, what music do you listen to in your free time these days? And is there anything that would surprise people?
1: Um, what would surprise people. Cuz you know, musicians
0: I mean, get known for, well, they must listen to stuff like what they play. But that's not always the case.
1: Okay. No, I I have a few albums that I always find myself going back to, which is um Omadorn by Mike Oldfield. Just oh. find myself listening to that all the time for some reason. I just something about it, I just really, really enjoy that record. Um, I'll I'll listen to a, a wide variety of music. I'm a bit like most people, a bit magpie-ish. You know, I listen to some heavy rock stuff, not you know, almost thrash metal at times, down to uh Chopin or Grieg. Depends what sort of mood I'm in. But I have a few sort of a few bands that I've always really sort of warmed to. And I don't know whether that's because that's how I grew up or bands that sort of had a an important part as I was growing up. So Deep Purple were a huge band for me when I was growing up. Yeah. Absolutely huge band for me. Loved that. Um and then from and then I went into It Bites I really enjoyed It Bites work particularly the uh, Eat Me and Sir Louis album obviously loved that record yeah. Dan Reed Network the first two records were just such an important part of my my life Sticks were the big one for me oh, Strangely nice. enough Sticks were just my when I first got my first record player at about 12 my mum went into the loft she said your dad had some records that he left behind and she gave them to me, and it was like six wives, and there was tales from topographic oceans, and they, uh, and then there was the grand illusion by sticks with a A and M demonstrator sticker on the front, and nice. I put that on, and I must have listened to the song Miss America yeah a hundred times just over and over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, but it sticks. It. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a big
0: sound for back then too.
1: It was such a great record. I love every every bit on that record, and then I sort of. I've, I sort of really fell for the songwriting styles of Tommy, Jane, JY and Dennis DeYoung. And I love the fact that Dennis DeYoung was a keyboard player, but could rock out and write songs like rock in the paradise. I love the fact that a keyboard yeah. player could could write hard edge stuff as well. Uh, and he was a big influence on me um, as well, because it made me, you know, cause I grew, grew up with sort of the yes stuff and the complex stuff and, and then deep purple sort of rocking out but dennis DeYoung young and Styx had a way of almost packaging prog in a in not quite shorter form but in a, a, a more way digestible
0: it, form i think, I think for a, the average yeah. music fan
1: i think that's a really good description actually yeah and and i really went for that and i have i can't say i've got every sticks record but i i pretty much have most of them um and i i love i love all of them uh you know and then i like all the offshore offshoots like Shaw Blades and Damn Yankees and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I'm a, there's one record that probably you might, you may have heard of, actually, but it's one of my favourites I listen to all the time, is um, an album called Haunted by Poe,
0: yeah.
1: which yeah. is a lovely album. I listen to that all the time as well. And that is a wonderfully produced record with some amazing songs, and she's a terrific singer. And then I'll listen to people like Suzanne Vega. I love mm-hmm. that. I love that sort of sort of new york singer-songwriter type thing and then i'll change from that and i'll go and listen to someone else I just, I'm, I'm quite eclectic i'm you know I, I think the only difficulty is is that as i get older my son keeps saying to me oh listen to this dad and i sort of feel really mean but i sort of say to him i don't know how many years i've got left if i'm going to listen to something i'm going to sort of <laughs> listen to a record by somebody from a band that i like and something of theirs that i haven't listened to before rather than going to somebody brand new
0: how how Um, old is your son 16. oh okay
1: yeah Yeah. so he's just getting to to that age so what we generally do is whenever whenever we go out in the car down to the shops or something i will just cherry pick a track for him so you have a listen to this and the other day it was um it was White Russian by Marillion I made him listen to. Oh, wow, and, yeah. incommunicado And he was like, oh, these, these are pretty cool. And I played him um, some dream theater from Images and Words, and he, he thought that was pretty cool. And
0: That's cool. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, Steve literally <laughs> came out of the womb as a Yes fan. Literally. Oh, wow. But now, um, decades later, he, he still is. But now he turns me on to music. And so I live in Arizona, and I have daughters in Oregon, and we drove from Arizona to Steve's house in Bakersfield spent the night and then drove to Oregon for Thanksgiving, drove back. And all that time he brought a bunch of stuff and most of it I'd never heard of. And One of the things he turned me onto that I just find romantically enchanting is the chromatics. And it's, oh, okay. it's quite different from most of the stuff I listen to. And, um, so you never know where where some gems are going to come from. They could come from no. the generation <laughs> above you, the generation below you. You never know.
1: No, that's true. The one thing that we do, which is uh, uh, something that people don't know about me, is I'm actually quite a big Harry Connick Jr. fan as well. Oh, me uh, too. My wife, yeah. oh,
0: yeah. My wife's a huge jazz aficionado, and we yeah. love the modern style sort of big band. Yeah, Harry's yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah, and I remember we were on tour with Yes and somebody said to me, Harry Connick Jr. Has just gone that way. And I sort of thought, I've got to go and say hello. You know, he, <laughs> he won't know me. He probably doesn't know anything about it. Yes, but I thought, I'll, I'll go up and meet. And I was quite prepared. He wasn't in the, the gate where we were. He was going on a different flight. I was quite prepared to miss the flight and go and find his, his <laughs> gate and chat to him. But I couldn't find him anywhere, unfortunately. Oh, so here's a
0: Harry Connick Jr. trivia question for you, Oliver. Oh. Do you know what animated film he did a leading voice for?
1: Do you know what I did, and now I can't remember? Oh. Now I, I could. I, I remember watching a film with my son when he was younger, and going, "Oh, Harry Connick Jr. is the voice of that." And now I can't remember which one it is. Remind me.
2: Do you remember Steve? Yeah, it's the Iron Giant. It's one of my favorites.
1: Yes, yes, that's it. Yes, yeah. so I, I, don't, I don't remember. I was I was trying to go through. Is it a Pixar one? I was doing all those. I was sort of going, which Pixar films did he make me watch?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was so cool when I. Saw that Um, what tell us your favorite. You may have answered this in a way earlier, but tell us your favorite. Yes. Album that your father played on and your favorite. Yes. Album that he's not on.
1: okay. That's a.
2: Yeah. You got your bases covered. So there's no family awkwardness. (laughs) Don't worry about that. (laughs) I'm not worried about
1: that at all. Favorite one that he's on. Do you know I, I should Fragile I love. I mean, I love Fragile, close to the Edge, going for the one. I think they're all amazing records.
0: It's funny, I was waiting for you to say relayer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he used to sign whenever he signed, whenever people he's given Relayer to sign, he used to sign it, not invited. Um, <laughs>
2: but, but I I,
1: I when I talked about these record players that my mum gave, gave me the records, one of the ones she gave me was um, Going For The One. And so that was the one that I started listening to. I'm going to be really weird here. Tomato was the one that I really loved. I absolutely loved Tomato. And everybody sort of thinks I'm really weird for that because everyone just goes, but close to the edge, but fragile. And You know, <laughs> fragile I have a soft spot because I'm named in the book clip because it was done just before I was, I was born, and uh, I was born whilst Dad was on tour
0: with I it. remember that, yeah, New Offspring uh, on the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember. And, um, but then I remember going to, um, it's probably to, it depends on which Yes Camp you fall into, but I listened to the ABWH album an awful lot because I was around the age. It came out in 88, I was about 16, so I was really getting into that sort of music at the time, and for a new record to come out, and to be current and to go and buy the 12 inch and find the hidden track of vultures in the city and all that sort of stuff yeah as an older person now I listen to that record and compare it and I think no it's not as in-depth as going for the one or even tomato or closer to the other. but it kind of has an affinity for me because I spent I went out on the tour with dad for that and I got to know Steve very well so no probably from a sort of experience point of view ABWH is the record that really you know connected me with the band Um, and going for the one is the one that I remember my mum giving me. And, but Tomato was the one that dad, when I used to go and stay with my dad at the weekends, there was a copy of Tomato up with a record player near a little snooker table he had. And I used to just put it on over and over and over again. It's a bit like the Fraser thing, which is your favorite? They work as an ensemble and depending on what sort of mood I'm in, I I go to to different ones.
0: I have to throw this in there and interrupt the the, before you answer the next part of that. Yeah. Steve and I both love Tormato. It's the first tour that I saw, and and I saw the first leg and the second leg. And it's also my choice for my birthday is April 2nd, and I'm going to play on Drum Talk TV. I'm going to perform one song from 25 of my top influences, and the Yes selection I chose is because Bill and Alan are huge influences. I've known Alan since 89. I chose to play future times and rejoice as the yes. Oh, okay. And I'm yeah. honoring bill with some King Crimson and and stuff. But, um, and then uh, a friend of ours who has another yes podcast, it's his f- ultimate favorite
2: yes oh, album yeah. and the yes, podcast, yes music podcast. The yes music been on podcast.
0: It. Yeah.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah,
0: and uh, we have to ask, since you brought that up, do you know whether or not the story is true that it was your dad that threw the tomato at the artwork of the album cover?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I wish I could answer that for you. I don't. Okay. I don't. I don't know that. Although a little related story is when Gordon and I were working together, um, we toured with another great English band called Barclay James Harvest that you may have heard of, um, and we toured with them and while we were doing the tour we I started to do my usual silly things which is come up with silly ideas we had to drive from one gig to another and we had some time in between and they said oh where should we stop on the way and we were going past Stonehenge so we stopped at Stonehenge and we had a photograph and I started doing tweets and I started doing you know we, we used to call it um you know the the, the prog prog cliches we hashtag prog cliches we do that oh, that's perfect sort of stone we we did it all the time we went to abbey road we did uh, where sid barrett was born we did oh, all wow. we went to we went to the ceramic uh cows from atom heart mother all this sort of stuff
0: wow
1: and we did all the things and one of the things that we did when we went down to devon was we drove past yes tour oh wow and oh wow so i got the whole band to go up and we stood there in exactly the same pose i put the glasses on oh the dark wow. glasses and um, yeah, and we did that, and then we did the pho- we did this photograph, and then before the show for the Prog Clisha, I went back and put it into Photoshop, made it all blue like the hypnosis version, and then found a picture of a tomato smashed and <laughs> threw that onto the picture as well. <laughs> That's
0: perfect. <laughs> that is perfect. Nice. I'll
1: tell you what I'll do. I'll find it off my Twitter account. And I'll retweet it tonight for people to p- people to see it. But that yeah, send so it to
0: us, please, and we'll put it up to promote a replay of the interview. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't so, I don't know if he did do it, but I'm um, yeah. That's great. That's, yeah, that we've heard that heard that
0: since it came out. So I don't. We don't know. What's your favorite album by Yes that your father is not on and that you're not on either?
1: That he's not on. No, I'm not on. Okay. Um, do you know what sort of part of me wants to say 90125? Because it was probably when it again, when I was about 16, it was a sort of one I I, I found. Um, but there was there's something about Big Generator. And I know people are just gonna go, you played in yes, and you're picking Tomato and Big Generator. What is wrong with you?
0: Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. They they put it out, so what could be wrong with it? You know, with yeah,
1: that? I I I think it was. I just I just really liked I just liked the I just like the aggression I think in that. In I Was going to ask if it was so, the
0: heaviness element.
1: Yeah, I think I kind of cuz I was at that sort of age and it was yeah. like, you know, 90125 was really clean cut and beautifully right. done.
0: There's a bit but of grunge I, element with Big Generator. I think it
1: was and and Chris yeah, doing those going. really low D yeah. all that sort of stuff really I thought I thought was was great and um you know there was the popular stuff like love will find a way and stuff but there's you know big generator itself who was a was such a cool f- and shoot high aim low i always really loved as a yeah as, a as, as, as well so i i think I, I think there's that one that i i would probably if i had to pick out a record now and just go oh, on am listen to me yes what should i pick out i'd probably pick out you know tomato or or big generator um I know I should be saying "relay" or something that made people just go, "Yeah, yes, that's quite right." Two <laughs> years, but <I> <laughs>
2: no, you, you got you got to be true to yourself. Like, don't give in to the popular opinion and
0: what they assume. Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
2: like, like I was ten when I first listened to the Tormato album, and. Up to that point, the only Tormato songs I'd heard elsewhere were Onward and On the Silent Wings of Freedom. So when I listened to the CD for the first time, I was just immediately blown away by future times. And it was just like, wow, all this is so much new Yes music to me. And it even had like all those bonus tracks. So it was like a lot of newness for me to experience.
1: Yeah, no, I know people will say that on on Tomato. I think what it is, is people sort of say about Tomatoes, lots of fighting going on. They were all sort of fighting for space mm. and arguing over mixing and a big generator, I know they sort of started with Trevor and then fell out and he went and they carried on. So yeah, I don't know whether it's, I just sort of hear that in the records, but I, I kind of quite like that sort of, that dueling side of things. But um, yeah, something about those I just like, but you know, yeah, they're great records but even yeah. the other ones that I could pick are all great records as well and and I I, I I maybe the reason I've gone for those those two is possibly because we didn't play any of them on tour whereas the other ones I played quite quite in depth you know you, you know when you when you have to sort of play these pieces on stage you really have to pull them to pieces and analyze them and, and, and pull them apart and rebuild them almost and because we didn't really we, we did onward um but we didn't do anything else from tomato and we didn't do anything from from big generator they sort of still have an element of mystery to me i'm still listening to it as a block of sound rather than thinking oh yes and that's what i did on close to the edge and oh yes i my daughter we have to have she loves south side of the sky from live in leon we have it in the car mm. all the time Oh wow, nice. and and I sort of listen to it because I have to listen to it like five times every morning on the way to school and <laughs> five times on the way back.
0: It's like if it, you it, eat enough chocolate cake, you'll decide it's not your favourite cake,
1: right? Yeah, it, right. It's, that, it's that sort of thing. And I sort of think to myself, you know, I can hear myself working out the bits I had to play and I think, oh, I remember working that bit out and I remember doing that and that bit and then we did this and then we did that. And that kind of, it, it's wonderful to be the person up on stage playing them but it it's not the same experience as hearing a piece of music Mm -hmm. performed to you and i think maybe that's why those two records still for me have an air of mystery that i haven't pulled them apart and i think that's maybe 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 that's part of the reason as well over time that they've they've still strayed sort of slightly mysterious to me that makes
2: sense what was your favorite yes song to perform live
1: um I love playing Heart of the Sunrise. I know that sounds quite mm. trite Ooh. because it, it, it's played so often, but it's such a it's quite a complex piece.
0: Yeah. It has a little of uh, everything it, really dynamically and
1: time changes, everything. Yeah. And it's, um, uh, it, it's its also not it's one of those pieces as well that you sort of it's really interesting the way that it's it's rooted slightly differently because everybody in the band takes a, a turn at being the person in control uh, and that was always good fun to play and it's quite challenging as well it's particularly challenging when you are um when you're playing on on stage and with the S music because you're reliant on because everyone's playing lines and the timings are all you know quite complex timings you really have to be on your you have to be on your guard because if suddenly someone's instrument cuts out or you don't hear it in your monitors or it gets lost or there's a pop from the speakers or something and you miss something you you you, ha- you almost have to have you almost have to have backup plans in your head is the yeah. best way I can describe it like if you you, know, you want to go fly you want to fly somewhere you always make sure you've got the backup flight as well so you can still get wherever you need to go right it's a bit like that if you're playing and suddenly you can't hear something you go okay I can't hear Steve why can't I hear Steve one well, and you're listening for a cue you're like okay what's right. my backup plan okay <laughs> I'll listen to when the bass drum hits three and I wait for Chris to hit that i c Then I go to my part. It was that sort of thing with yes stuff. So it was quite, it was quite complex. And Heart of the Sunrise was a lot of that because there's a lot of stuff where Steve and I, you know, you know, we sync together, and there's sections where the keyboards are just on their own. Close to the Edge was always great fun. Um, always great fun to do the organ solo and that sort of big church organ bit in the middle. It was great fun to play. Always used to like playing. Um, uh, Astral Traveler was always good fun to play. Oh, nice! Oh, yeah! Because, yeah. because you know, because it hadn't been played before, yeah. and I suppose, in an odd sort of way, that was quite a new piece to all of us because they hadn't played it for years either. Right. So it was quite, quite nice that we were all sort of discovering it together. Yeah. And I remember, I remember Chris and I, we were playing it, and you know, as we would go through the tour, we'd keep refining and we'd keep doing bits and we'd keep, doing, keep doing bits. And I remember Chris saying to me once, he said, "Why would you go to a C on that run up?" I said because it's what tony k did he went are you sure He said yeah yeah chris you go up to a c and he went he said finish i finished on b so done well it goes to c on the on the record and we both were convinced and we'd listened to the record and they are slightly out and it was oh, actually wow. the, the, um, so we actually sort of got refined back from original things and it was just you know just an example of chris's amazing memory he could he could remember everything and anything
0: except um, to be on time <laughs> time,
1: yes. but that that was so astral traveler was always good fun but i mean to be honest with you i loved i loved the whole set it just went so quickly it, you know once you've got it under your fingers um and i also always really liked playing on um, perpetual change well, or oh, you, you get you yeah. get that middle you get that middle section just right of the, the the shift between the two pieces yeah we we had a way of doing that and that was i can't remember what it was now but that was always great fun to play and you'd sort of come out of the other side of that and you'd give yourself a little mental pat on the back she you sort of go oh, not individually, as a band, yeah. just go on mentally. Yeah, we did yeah. that. We did that well. We, we came together really well through that. So that's that was great. good fun. But, you know, nice. the, the least favorite song to play on a Yes show is still a great song. And it's still a Yes yeah. show. So. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a great point. Well, Oliver, thanks so much for taking time, especially on a Saturday evening. We really appreciate so much more to talk about. We'd love to have you on again sometime if you're up yeah. to putting up with us again. absolutely absolutely
1: yeah we could go on for hours so yeah no invite invite me back and we can we can talk more sitcom stuff
0: absolutely yeah for sure hang on the line with us for just a moment after we say goodbye thank you everybody so much for following yes shift with steve and i and for watching with our guest oliver wakeman today share this with someone who you think would dig it and of course your fellow fraser fans we'll see you again soon thanks everybody